1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now, here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is W. Randall Jones, who's the founder of Worth magazine and the author of a book that just came out called The Richest Man in Town The 12 Commandments of Wealth. Welcome to the show, Randy.
3: Uh, thank you, Jordan. Good to be with you.
2: Great to be with you. Uh, let's just start off with your background a little bit first before we get to the book, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your, why you founded Worth Magazine and your, your uh, road to get get there, and then the road to writing the book.
3: Sure. I've, I've spent the vast majority of my career in the magazine business. My first big job was being a part of the team that bought Esquire in early 1980 and uh, affected that turnaround at, uh, at the time and sold it to the Hearst Corporation in the late 80s. And then in the early 90s, uh, with that windfall, I founded Worth Magazine because I was looking for my own answers and solutions as to how to best manage my money and um, and control my financial destiny. So that was uh, all of the 90s. And for the last couple of years, I have been traveling the country, interviewing the richest, man or woman in town in 100 American towns to try to paint a truly geographic and uh, representative portrait of, of modern wealth in America.
2: So what was the idea behind this, that uh, people have a different image of what the rich people are and what they actually are, kind of what was the genesis of the idea behind this book?
3: Well, the genesis was very simple. I was sitting in my hometown of Carrollton, Georgia, uh, a few years back, and I was having lunch with my then 14-year-old nephew, and uh, he looked at me and he said, Uncle Randy, sort of sotto voce, you see that man over there? That's the richest man in town. And it just hit me that every town has one, and they're almost mythic in those towns. Often they're the largest employers, the biggest philanthropists, people who really change the very landscape of those towns. And so it's Americana at its best. And so I always thought that we in the media view wealth through the lenses of Wall Street and particularly the Fortune 500 companies or through Hollywood, and we forget about this vast country in between where success is taking place companies are being built and wealth is being uh, created and the american dream is alive and i wanted to i wanted to see that story come out and i also wanted to see is the american dream still alive particularly in these turbulent economic times
2: well in these turbulent economic times most people think it's impossible to get rich that this is the worst time to do it uh, are, are some of these yes. people ha- having success recently, or are these the things that were done during much better times for the most part? Well,
3: all of these richest men in town have been on this journey for quite some time. You don't uh, – one of the things I say in in the book is that you don't get rich overnight. This is not a, a get-rich-quick journey. Uh, kind of uh, book, Uh, these men and women prove that it it, it takes quite a while of doing a lot of the right things all along the way to become the, the richest man in town. Having said that, many of them started their businesses in times much like this, very tough economic times. They founded their business after they were fired or after they were downsized, or after they finally had this revelation that they were never going to be in control of their own destiny unless they started something themselves and owned their own companies. So what
2: are some of the things, we're going to get into the details of it, but what are overall some of the things that readers can learn from this as to their ability to create successful companies in a way that many people today think is really impossible?
3: Uh, yeah, well, number one, you have to decide that it is, it is possible. But more importantly, one of the great commonalities I found in these richest men and women in town is that they have found what I refer to in the book as their perfect pitch. The thing that they do so uniquely well that they have a ball doing it. And therefore, the monetization of that is is almost the easy part to hear them tell it. Now, that's hard for uh, someone who's on tough times to realize, but that's precisely when we need to have some introspection, when we need to start to have almost an intervention with ourselves and say, what are, what's right about ourselves? What, what's right about me? What am I doing uh, when I'm so excited about it that, um, that time flies? Or as Maya Angelou says, you want to do something in your life professionally that you do so well that the world can't take their eyes off of you. Well, what is that? Everybody has something. Uh, We shoot down the old theory that, um, or the old maxim that is so often bandied about by all of us in America, particularly our parents, who say, you know, Randy or Jordan, you can be anything you want to be. And the richest men in town don't believe that's the case. They believe that's a big, fat lie, that you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be so much more of what you innately, intrinsically, almost genetically are. So figuring out what that is is absolutely the first key to becoming the richest man or woman in town. Yes.
2: Uh, Did a lot of these people uh, cooperate easily, or was it hard to get them to open up and tell their stories?
3: Oh, I've been asked that question so many times and, you know, people say, how long did it take you? I said, well, over two years. And they said, that's a lot of writing. I said, the writing was a breeze. It took me about three months to write the book, uh, over two years to lasso these richest men and women in town and get them to agree to sit down because one of the great commonalities of them is that they are all action addicts. They are running their companies. They are looking for that next opportunity. They're very forward-thinking kinds of folks. So to get them to sit down and talk about themselves was a very difficult thing. But once I convinced them that this was a part of their legacy, that they could leave for Younger generations of people to read about their stories and to bask in the collective wisdom of of, of their story, along with ninety nine other stories in the book. They 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 came around, but it was it was a big sales job. I will say that.
2: Yeah, for sure. One of the things that you uh, say there are certain myths, and we're going to go into the details of the different myths you have in Commandments is that. Uh, Most people think that rich people inherit their money, but in fact, most of the people you talk to, they had earned it themselves. It was their own first generation. Uh, Why is there this misconception about that?
3: Well, I think you know when we see um, you know wealth portrayed in the media, often it uh, it's the kind of wealth that looks like you know inherited wealth. You know, we think of the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts and the Whitneys, and even you know in modern day terms, the the Trumps. Um, and the fact of the matter is that's not the great preponderance of wealth in this country. And, of course, in The Richest Man in Town, I only interviewed uh, the richest self-made man or woman in town. Um, so I was only interested in those people who, by dint of their own drive, determination, desire, had had become the richest man or, or woman in town, because those are the lessons that I thought could be most prescriptive and instructive to anyone who was trying to figure out, how do I make it? How do I grab hold of that brass ring of the American dream?
2: How did you identify uh, these people? You probably didn't go to all these towns and say, who's the richest man in town? Did you have... No, what I didn't. I, did I didn't it?
3: go knock on doors in these <laughs> towns, uh, as as uh, as Joan Rivers is about to do in her her new show. Um, <laughs> but what I did was journalist to journalist. I called the business editor of the local newspaper in a hundred American towns. I, I started with a list of the hundred largest towns in America, and that was New York to Natchez, Mississippi, basically, um, and you know, and Akron and Dayton and everything in between, and then I. Uh, included one tiny town, Bell Spring, Virginia, population 169, and my own hometown of of Carrollton, Georgia. Writer's prerogative, and th- so I then called, you know, each uh, newspaper um, in each of those towns and said, you know, some, who is the richest self-made person? Who's the most successful person in that town? Who's the person who has really? change the very face of, of of your town. And usually the editor would give me two to three people that then I'd put a team of researchers on to value their public holdings, to interview investment bankers about uh, the valuation of their privately held uh, company. We even zillowed their, their residents. Um, and obviously this is more of an art than it is a science. And I was not... Jordan, I was not um, so caught up in the fact that I had to be exact about their, their net worth. I just wanted to know that uh, they were the most successful self-made person in town, or, or at least one of. And, um, and it usually came down to being pretty clear uh, after uh, a month or so of, of research.
2: Very good. Okay. We're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is a W. Randall Jones, Randy Jones, who is the author of the new book called The Richest Man in Town, The Twelve Commandments of Wealth. And we'll be back after this.
4: Up to date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
1: both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers are you ready to go green
4: you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network
5: violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime
2: is w randall jones randy jones is the author of a new book called the richest man in town the twelve commandments of wealth welcome back to the show randy
3: thank you jordan Good
2: and to let's be get back. right right into the uh, twelve commandments. these are things that you've come up with after having talked to these hundred people uh... and and found the various commonalities in their whole situation is that basically where you, these twelve commandments came from
3: exactly uh... these were the common themes that kept appearing interview in and interview out and um... Now, obviously, there were more than, than 12 that I heard, but these were the ones that I felt were the most common uh, among all 100 richest men in town.
2: Okay, the first one is, Seek money for money's sake, and ye shall not find.
3: So why don't you describe what you mean by that one? Well, you know, what I kept hearing over and over again in the interviews was, it was never about the money, Randy. I never approached my life uh, to be rich. You know, my goal was not to be rich. Um, and I was a little cynical about that. I said, because the poorest one in the book is worth a hundred million dollars. So I said, you know, it's very easy as you sit atop a uh, hundred million dollar plus fortune to say the money was not important. But after I heard it so many times, I really began to believe it that. The secret to creating great wealth is to do something of real value, to add real value to your community, to your, uh, to your state, indeed the universe. And the money is the natural byproduct. It, I was very convinced by the time it was all over that the vast majority of these Uh, great wealth creators, had done it because they were doing something that really did add value, whether it's create the the largest uh, manufacturer of wheelchairs in Cleveland or one of the largest uh, manufacturers of electronic amplification in Meridian, Mississippi. They were really doing something that the marketplace needed, that the marketplace valued, and ultimately the wealth came as a result of that.
2: So what you're saying to the reader is, uh, you have to figure out something that's adding value, that's not already being done out there to kind of create a niche, um, and then that will the money will flow from that. That you, sh- you shouldn't kind of go the other absolutely. way. Around, How can that's, I make money first?
3: That's absolutely true. You've got to be uh, doing something that comes from Commandment number two, which is finding your perfect pitch, something that you can do so uniquely that no one else can really compete with you, that you almost have a monopoly on on the market, if you will. And the vast majority of these RMITs, as I lovingly refer to them, had found their perfect pitch and monetized that. Um, And so the money was the... A kind of natural byproduct of it. But uh, Finding Your Perfect Pitch was probably my very favorite commandment of all 12, and it was best illustrated by Jonathan Nelson, who's the richest man in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, a private equity king. He's done the biggest private equity deal in the in the history of private equity, bigger than Henry Kravis. And he said that he realized the power of perfect pitch when he was a freshman at Brown University and took a Beethoven class, hoping to have a crib course or to meet some women. And on the first day, the professor hit a note on the piano and said, What key is that? And 25% of the hands went up. And he wondered, How did they know what that is? So he asked the girl in front of him, and she said, I have perfect pitch. And he realized the power of relative skill differences then. He knew that no matter how hard he tried, no matter how hard he worked, he was never going to have perfect pitch. So he did not pursue music, but he did pursue private equity, which was his perfect pitch. Mm -hmm. And that kind of story had resonance in every one of the richest men in town.
2: You asked the uh, what you call existential question, does money buy happiness? Um, and you know, all these people by the nature that have money, are all of them happy as well?
3: The vast majority of them, I would say, are happy. I, I asked them all that question, and they all said yes, with a qualifier. I am happy, though I am never truly satisfied or content. Meaning that uh, David Rubenstein said it best to me, uh, the richest man in Washington, D.C., he said, I'm Jewish and I would be unhappy if I were happy because then I would feel as though I was not working hard enough or doing enough to keep myself moving forward. And I did find that to be very common, meaning they had a happy family life by and large. They had the comforts that money can buy and enjoyed them, though they never flaunted them in, uh, in most cases. but um, But they were always looking for that next opportunity, that next rung on the ladder of success, if you will. And that's what uh, fired their imagination and kept them excited every day because they they were seeing future opportunities. And that made them happy.
2: So one of the exercises you talk about in this chapter is that uh, readers should write their own obituary. Is this something that these people did? The richest men in town have already written their own obituary and kind of visualized how they'd be seen? Is that where you well, came up with that idea? Several
3: of them mentioned it to me as an exercise, and it was a commonality that I finally had with with some of my subjects because I had written about it in Worth years ago. Uh, I, I thought that it was such a maudlin exercise uh, initially, and then I thought, once you try it, it's the most amazing thing because it, it helps you to determine a couple of things. One is the answers the question for you personally how much is enough you know if you're going to if you're going to go on this sort of journey or this quest for wealth don't you need to know how much you really need and more importantly it allows you to think about what you've accomplished what you still wish to accomplish, and what kind of legacy you want to leave. And it's actually like writing a mini-autobiography. So it's a great way to sort of create a uh, sketch of your life and at the same time think about the future pathways that that you would like to go down. And I think so often in, in America we are all so busy doing that we we offer ourselves very little honest reflection about our lives and what is really important uh, in terms of our futures. So, that's, an so exercise. that's the reason to do it. And I will tell you that a lot of the RMITs that uh, had not done that uh, have now done it. In fact, I, I, I got a couple of calls recently uh, from uh, a gentleman. In fact, he was on Fox & Friends with me this morning, Leighton Cubbage, in Greenville, South Carolina, telling me that he had done that and that it was one of the best experiences he had ever had because, for once, he was sitting down and he was being retrospective about his life and thinking about what he wanted to do for the second half of his life.
2: Yeah. You talk about uh, the journey or the pot of gold. Uh, you're saying that most average people are kind of are looking for the pot of gold where in fact, the real gold. Is the journey getting there? Is that the way most of these people
3: think? Uh, That's certainly the way the richest men and women in town uh, see the world. It's all about the journey. And the pot of gold is simply the reward for having a smart journey. And what I I mean by that is if you were to graph the lives of these richest men or, or richest women in town, uh, it wouldn't be a simple upward trajectory as you might think when you hear the term the richest man in town. If you were to graph their lives, it would look like an electrocardiogram. And they've had highs, they've had lows, and they've had, uh, many in-betweens. But what, what's so great about these individuals is that they've enjoyed that entire journey. They've learned from the, from the problems that they had. Virtually all of these RMITs admit having in some cases, near cataclysmic failure, you know, the the sort of bankruptcy to to billionaire story is 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 common with within these stories, and they loved that journey because they learned from it. It it allowed them to appreciate what they uh, ultimately accomplished, and it also keeps them a little paranoid. Uh, that it just might go south, and that keeps them focused and that keeps them driven toward the uh, toward a prosperous future.
2: So the idea is if they have the pot of gold, they don't appreciate it as much as if they're continually striving uh, for more, and, and uh, you know, the process continues. It's, they're never really fully satisfied, even though they have more money than they could ever spend.
3: Uh, that's absolutely true, and it's money is the scorecard in most cases. It's the barometer. And it tells them you know, how they're doing, but, um, but again, they see that as, as the byproduct of doing a lot of things right, and also having some good luck in the process. Yeah, I'm sure
2: luck is a big part of the whole process here. Yes, it is. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is uh, Randall Jones, of uh, form, founder of Worth Magazine. Uh, now the author of a new book called The Richest Man in Town, The Twelve Commandments of Wealth. And we'll be back after this.
4: what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to solving personal foreclosure? With over 2,700 foreclosures daily, what can you do to ensure the housing crisis doesn't hit home? Tune in to Foreclosure Exposure Radio with host Carla Duglin. This show will give you steps you can immediately use to save your own home and credit. Face and conquer foreclosure issues before they affect you. Listen for Foreclosure Exposure Radio every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. and My guest this hour is uh, Randy Jones, uh, who is the author of a new book called The Richest Man in Town. The 12 Commandments of Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Randy.
3: Thank you, Jordan.
2: Okay, we're going to do more of our our Wealth Commandments here. Uh, You talked about this a little bit, but maybe just a brief thing on uh, find your perfect pitch. Uh, you, You say people don't always have to have their perfect pitch in one area, but what is the best way for somebody to find what that special, unique thing is that they have?
3: This is what I think most people don't do, and yet it's the single most important aspect of of great success and wealth creation and ultimately, happiness, I think is finding the thing that that one does so well uh, that time flies that you feel like you're having your first crush uh, at sixteen years of age almost uh... now that's not to say that a business is going to be uh... easy every day but it needs to be something that you truly love to do i love to to write i love like you jordan to interview people and get uh... to understand why they think the way they do and what uh... and try to figure out what lesson i can learn from their their personal experiences everybody has to figure out what it is that they do so uniquely well that it's almost a god-given talent uh, sadly most of us don't figure that out uh, often until much too late if at all But if you don't read anything else in the richest man in town i encourage you to read uh... commandment number two find your perfect pitch uh... and then that leads to commandment number three which is to be your own boss Bill Ruffin, the richest man in Wichita, uh, said it right. He said, "You don't get rich working for somebody else." One of the great commonalities of these richest men and women in town is that they they all run their own show. They all own and control uh, their own company. Um, they do that because they like to be in control of their destiny. But um, but they do it because it has grown out of their perfect pitch and something that is. Um, an absolute passion of theirs in most cases, whether it's, you know, George Perez uh, developing condominiums on uh, on Florida's coastline or Jim Olschlager managing money from Akron, Ohio. It's what they love to do, and they get up every day excited about doing it, or most every day.
2: And particularly today, with uh, big companies laying people off, uh, being your own boss is. The only way it's ever going to work is you have no security with what you thought used to be secure today, right?
3: It's, it's true. And it it is frustrating to me that so often the media focuses on the Fortune 500 when they employ less than 9% of the total American workforce. It is the small and medium sized business owner that employs, you know, the vast majority, almost 85% of all Americans. And yet we rarely focus on those businesses. And they, in many ways, I think, are the true American heroes. They're the, they're the fabric of the American character. And um, I don't think we give them enough attention. In The Richest Man in Town, I think I've given a lot of them uh, a lot of attention. And and it's well-deserved attention, too. Indeed. Okay, your next commandment,
2: number four, is to get addicted to ambition. And, you know, certain parts of society that uh, look down on ambition and think it's too self-serving and so on, but you're saying that's necessary for these people to be successful.
3: Well, I think it's important to understand um, the definition of, of ambition. I think there is good ambition and bad ambition. Just like there are good people and bad people, there are good rich people and bad rich people. Um, Bernie Madoff had the wrong kind of ambition. Um no one would question that he was he was ambitious, but he was ambitious without any moral compass. Most of the richest men in town that I interviewed were ambitious, but ambitious in order to create something, as I mentioned earlier, that has real value, real value uh, to both society and to the to the overall marketplace. So. Um, you know, you want to you want to be in check with your ambition, obviously, but without having that sort of driving ambition addiction, uh, you will never become the richest man or, or woman in town. Uh, we are all, as humans, Jordan, I think, addicted to something, and it may be, it be Diet Coke, it may be uh, publicity, it may be. Mail order catalogs or the internet, uh, but why not channel your addictive behavior towards something that is producing something good for your community and and you and your family? That's the kind of addiction that is prevalent with the richest men in town. Yeah,
2: that's not the way people normally think of addiction, but that's a much more positive way of thinking exactly.
3: Of yes, your
2: next one is to wake up early and be
3: early. Um,
2: So the idea is to get in before everybody else has figured out your idea. Is that the idea
3: there? Well, all of these RMITs were early risers, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Uh, I remember Wayne Huizenga, the richest man in Fort Lauderdale, and, you know, famous for waste management and Blockbuster and OTO hotels, great serial entrepreneur, Um, he would get into the office at 4.30 in the morning. I heard this sort of early rise speech an awful lot. But um, a corollary to that was that these richest men and richest women in town valued time so much. Red McCombs, the richest man in San Antonio, said to me that You know, you can always create more money, Randy, but you cannot create more time. So they valued their time, and they valued other people's times. And that's why I say show up early, because they, to a person, hated people who, you know, set an appointment with them and you know, and were late, because it it, it it showed that they were narcissistic. It showed that they were not respectful of other people's time. Uh, so I found that the richest men and women in town manage their time much more carefully than m- most of us normal human beings do. And that's one thing that really sets them apart and one of the great reasons for their success.
2: You talk about uh, the importance of education. Now, some of these uh had full educations MBAs but a lot of them did not is that right so what difference does education make in success
3: uh very little is what i found i found that education uh was um, was a nice to have when i would ask them what was the most memorable experience they had in in college it was almost always a social experience and not um, anything to do with uh their their academic uh careers uh, so I found that very, very interesting. So education was not critical, nor was IQ. But I'll tell you what was, EQ, the emotional quotient. Um, and I think that, that may be one of the reasons these guys are so happy, too. They value social relationships. They value um, being with people and understanding people uh much more so than uh than they value being bean counters if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh not a lot of sort of CPAs among these richest men in town. So uh education is something they value and something they they're glad they have and something that they think gives everybody uh, an advantage and certainly they advise their children and their grandchildren uh to take uh to make the most of of a good quality education but they don't think that's the reason they were successful
2: you say that education also helps with self-esteem and the things you're talking about here you know getting your perfect pitch these take self-esteem in order to be able to figure those things out
3: so uh, it helps kind no of doubt directly. about it anything that uh, that makes you feel better about yourself uh, and I mean if you've got some sort of nagging insecurity uh, or if you're afraid of failure I find um, you're not going to do as well in whatever you ch- you choose to do. So, yeah, self-esteem is, it, is critical. And the richest men in town have it in spades, <laughs> that I will tell you. Yes. They they don't have an, a self-esteem problem. Having said that, I did find the vast majority of them to have a, a, a strong sense of humility.
2: Mm-hmm. Because I know it, can, it doesn't always go as easily as it makes look after it's done, probably.
3: Yeah. Uh, no, not not at all. And that's, you know, as a, as a journalist, you know, one of the things that I said after I got done with interviewing everyone is I said, oh, my God, I have a huge problem here. I like most of these people a lot. You know, so it was really hard to be the dispassionate journalist because I found myself very much caught up in their personal stories. Um and, and very much admiring, in most cases, of the journey they had taken um, and the generosity that they showed, not only to me, but to their community and uh, to philanthropy.
2: Did you interview some people you didn't end up using in the book because you didn't like them?
3: Uh, y- yes. <laughs> but I'm not going to name those. But yeah, there were there were three or four that it was not that I did not like them. That would that would be unfair, Jordan. Uh, it was that I didn't think they um, they offered a lot of themselves in the interview. In other words, they were so guarded that there was nothing. That, that sort of came from those interviews that I thought was, was helpful to the project.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. All right, your commandment number six is don't set goals, execute or get executed.
3: Well, I this is mean- the most startling revelation yes. in the book, I think, is that these guys are not what I call uh, strategic planners. Uh, they are plotters. They, uh, as Charlie Uh, a the richest man in Wilmington Delaware said to me life by the inch is a cinch, life by the yard is hard so the five-year plan none of them had them Um, the long-range strategic vision none of them had it they were simply focused on getting up every day and doing better than the day before they were master executors I say don't set goals but execute or be executed and I think that uh, is, is critical based on what I learned in this process to becoming the, the richest man in town. These guys just know how to get up every day and make the decisions that are going to make the biggest difference in their business that day.
2: It's interesting, because this is the opposite of most MBA speak. It's all about goal setting and doing long-term strategic plans. So
3: something's right. not I mean, not even working. Josh Koppelman, who's the, um, the richest man in Philadelphia and a very, very successful venture capitalist, said, Randy, the minute you push print on a business plan, that is exactly uh, the moment that it becomes obsolete.
2: Yes, indeed. Okay, okay we're going to go to a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is uh, Randall Jones. Randy Jones is the author of the newest book called The Richest Man in Town, The Twelve Commandments of Wealth. And there is a website for this book, which is uh, therichestmanintown.com. We'll be back after this.
0: looking for a good time we've got a show that will give you a wild ride this show will make you feel good and it's not even bad for you you need your time to let loose it's time for a feel good party pull up to the computer mix yourself a drink and turn up the speakers happy hour is here every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called The Biggest Radio Show in the World. Hosted by international personality and pundit, Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America.
5: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Randall Jones, uh, whose new book is called The Richest Man in Town, Uh, The Twelve Commandments of Wealth. And just to correct something I said earlier, the website is Uh, richestmanintown.com, is that correct? That's correct. So they can get the book there and in all the different bookstores and
3: so on as well. Exactly.
2: At that website, are you doing chats? Are you doing uh,
3: various interactive things with the audience? Uh, I do. I blog almost every day uh, and uh, enjoy uh, the conversation back and forth with my readers. So... By all, right. all means, contact me.
2: All right, very good. Okay, your uh, commandment number seven is uh, fail to succeed. Uh,
3: yeah, or failure is an option, because um, there were only two of the 100 individuals that I uh, interviewed for The Richest Man in Town who said that they had had no failure. Ninety-eight said they had had, in many cases, near-cataclysmic failure. So... One of the key tenets of the book is that you cannot fear, fear failure. In fact, you if you're going to become the richest man in town, you're probably going to have several of them along the way. And I think that's kind of comforting, particularly in these tough economic times, to know that everybody who is sitting atop a billion dollar or hundred million dollar plus fortune uh, has had a time in their life, or several times in their lives, when things have not gone well, when it seems like no matter how hard they try, they cannot get ahead. But the key to it is continuing to forge uh, forward. Just like uh, Winston Churchill said, never give up, never give up, never give up. The richest men and women in town really employ that sensibility in a big way.
2: Yet most people get defeated when they lose. They, they, they become cautious and don't want to take any risks again. So it's, it's a, a skill that not everybody has.
3: Is that no, that it, it does take a tremendous amount of fortitude, and, and most of us, sadly, don't have it. I will say it's easier to, to bounce back from failure when you are doing what, what you absolutely love to do, though. And that's, that's so simple, and yet it's so important. So if you are finding things really difficult right now, um, then it's time for some serious uh, introspection, as I mentioned earlier, almost a personal intervention with yourself to say, why is this going wrong? What can I do differently? Uh, maybe this isn't your perfect pitch, and figuring out what it is 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 critical to reaching that next next level and coming out the other end feeling a whole lot different than you do right now.
2: Your next commandment is that location doesn't matter. And most people would think it does matter. That You have to be in the centers of power, or the centers of technology in Silicon Valley or something. Why is it that you can do this anywhere?
3: That's what I love about this book, Jordan, is that um, it proves that success can and does take place anywhere in America. You're absolutely right. We, we think we have to go to one of the big population centers to make it big. You've got to be in a big town to have a big success it is so not true. RJ Kirk is the richest man in Bell Spring Virginia. He's worth almost 2 billion dollars. Population 189. Uh and there are plenty of examples like that. In my hometown of Carrollton, Georgia, uh the richest man in town is worth 150 million dollars. Um, population 22,000. I mean, I think he's going to be just fine and live very well for the for the rest of his life. And that's that's true everywhere. Uh, it doesn't have to be New York or, or Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, your next commandment is to moor yourself to morals, and people have certainly learned recently with uh, Stanford and Madoff and Kozlowski and so on that uh, you can get rich, but if it, you hurt people along the way, it doesn't always work out too it's, well. For it's you. not
3: a lasting richness, nor is it a fulfilling one in the end. Um, and I will tell you that the people that I interviewed are not saints. Let's let's. Um, a few of them are pretty close. Dave, David Duncan uh in Oklahoma City, who founded Hobby Lobby, seems to me as about as saint-like as anyone I've I've ever met. So it was Jim Oldslogger in Akron. But the vast majority of these people are, are like you and me. They're they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But at the end of the day, they are asking themselves the question. You know, am I doing right by others? And therefore, if you're doing right by others, you tend to be doing right by yourself. Uh, we've lived through you know the whole Enron to, to Madoff scandals. You're right. And um, I think we're getting uh, more and more attuned uh, to this principle of being moored to, to proper morals. And I, I think maybe now that there is so much transparency because of the Internet that uh, it's so much easier to get caught today and people are much more attuned to it that maybe we won't see as much of this having said that uh... whether you're investing or building a business you have still always got to have caveat emptor uh, buyer beware
2: absolutely your number ten is to say yes to sales uh... you find that some people are kind of reluctant to be uh, selling their business but the successful always are willing to sell
3: I'll give you a great example. Yes, the successful love to sell. Um, Nothing happens until something is sold. You can't manufacture widgets unless you know you have a market for them. Um, I was interviewing Bob Stiller, the richest man in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, He uh, came for the second interview uh, to my home in New York, and he walked in, and he had two big boxes in his hands. Now, here is a guy who's worth almost a billion dollars, was coming to New York ostensibly to meet with his yacht designer, but uh, but came by to see me and to finish the interview, and he's carrying a Keurig coffee maker in one arm, which he had just purchased the company, and a whole assortment of Green Mountain coffees in the other, and could not wait to demonstrate this to me and show me the... the the wide variety of coffees, and about his newest purchase, the Keurig K-Cup individual coffee serving machine. He brimmed with excitement, and I just thought, you know, this is a guy who doesn't have to sell anymore, but he loves it. And, again, he was passionate about his company, passionate about his product, and here he was in his 60s, and he could have been sailing in his yacht, uh, you know, on the south of France. But instead, he was in my living room demonstrating his coffee machine, just as he had done 20 years ago when he started the company. I thought that was terrific. That's really
2: great. Well, we have about two minutes to go. We're not going to be able to get through all the commands, but why don't you just kind of briefly sum up. uh, Once people have read uh, The Richest Man in Town, what's possible for readers who who may not think it's possible to be as successful as
3: uh, all the people you write about in the book? Well, I think uh, while... I will not say that anything is possible, because the book proves that anything is not possible, but it, but it proves that major things can happen in your life um, and wealth can be created if you find your perfect pitch, if you do it with the right set of morals, um, if you approach uh, the world in a way that you're adding real value as opposed to seeking the, the money first. If you don't fear failure, um, and if you love to embrace uh, the wisdom of other people, always borrowing from the, the best and the brightest out there, um, and you agree to never retire, uh, then you can become the richest man in town a very
2: good thing for people to know about for sure, because in today's world a lot of people don't think that's possible at all and it's really good to hear that it, that it definitely is possible well thanks so much randy it's been a fascinating interview uh the book again is called the richest man in town the 12 commandments of wealth uh, the website to find out more about it is richest man and thank you you've been a really great guest
3: thank you jordan enjoyed it immensely
2: thank you and we'll be back again next week with another edition of the money answer show